Welcome to Piecing It All Together. I'm Randy Woodley. I am Bo Sanders. Hey, we're here to talk with you today about our journey. Yeah, we're going to talk today about a Lenten journey together. But before we get to that, Randy, our book is out. Woo! Yeah, (laughs) so what book is that, people ask? That is the book. Yeah, Decolonizing Evangelicalism, an 11.59 p.m. conversation. I'm glad we clarified 11.59 p.m. Yeah. Yeah. So somebody told me I should have put like a minute before midnight um, conversation, but uh, it just didn't have the same ring, you know? No, no. I think the 11.59, it catches your eye because it it is weird. It it does look... um, the way that they laid out the cover is pretty cool uh, graphically with the silhouette of uh, the American flag and, and Jesus silhouetted there. And uh, so to contrast with that that sky in the background, the 1159, it does catch your eye like there's something odd about the presentation. So I think it looks cool. Yeah, I was pretty happy with it. Um, I'd give him a couple options. You remember when I was talking to him about the cover, we were giving him ideas and yeah. You know, um, you know, I I talked about you know they could have went with uh, uh, like Jesus is walking up two hills. One is Golgotha, and the other one is a cross with an American flag hanging on, and he's going through the other one. Another one is that he could you know walk on the American flag, and they were they were like, I don't think that will go over. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, oh, and then I said, Well, what what if? All the flags nations were down there and he was walking or they were just discarded on the side. And then they finally came up with the sort of Jesus walking up Golgotha's hill with the cross on his back. And the American flag is flying away, being discarded. So, um, but they didn't put it on the ground, which I think they were a little probably concerned <laughs> about that. So. You know, it's, this is my first time uh, becoming an author. So I'm so happy to be in partnership with you and for that special a moment uh, to become an author in partnership is just a really cool opportunity. Uh, but one of the interesting things is that, you know, the day that you see your cover, uh, you, I mean, you have no idea what the, the artist is going to present. And uh, by the time it's there, I mean, you can make little tweaks, but it's mostly a done deal. Yeah, and you don't ever get to go back and change the words unless they reprint a uh, revised edition later. So, so it's kind of like being carved in stone, right? <laughs> yeah, there is a permanence to it. So yeah. it goes from being, it goes from being very much an idea and sort of out there and very fluid uh, to being somewhat concrete in in an instant. Yeah. Well, the thing I like about it most is that. Um, besides the introduction and kind of concluding remarks, it, it is um, a conversation between the two of us, which is what we're used to doing, mm-hmm. uh, very natural. And, uh, and I think it actually invites the readers into, a, you know, a journey that um, they can be a part of the discussion as well, because we ask a lot of questions in that as we talk back and forth to one another. So, so that's the part of the book I like as well. Um, I, I really enjoyed the uh, book that most people probably have not re- read, but maybe they will after this plug. Is, uh, um, it's called uh, um, We Make the Road by Walking by Paulo Freire, and, uh, or some people pronounce it incorrectly, Freire. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Paulo Freire, and um, 
uh, Miles Horton, who's the educator from uh, the you know the the old uh, school in Chattanooga where Martin Luther King Jr. and um, Rosa Parks and Andrew Young and all the rest of them uh, learned how to a lot about organizing and. Yeah. And things like that. Uh, so the Highlander School is called. So um, anyway, that book was a conversation between these two expert teachers. Now, you know, yeah, we don't compare with them in terms of our expertise, but uh, I think it is an interesting conversation to join in. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, I, you know, one of the reasons I like it is um, not only because it, it sort of is an homage to to that style, but and it resonates with this podcast that we do. But in the book, we say over and over again that people, uh, we must be in conversation with each other across communities and traditions and backgrounds and perspectives. And so it's actually, I think, uh, significant that we wrote the book in that style. And it reads, I think it reads really well because um, it reinforces the point you, we can't, none of us can do this on our own. We have to be in dialogue with folks who see the world a little different. Yeah. I, I think the fact that it's a shorter book though may fool people um, because it's only, you know, a preface, uh, four chapters and a conclusion. And, and, um, but as I have gone back through and reread it after having some space from it, it's not that the words are so hard to get, but there's, I, you know, honestly, there's a lot packed into everything that we have to say. There's, there's not a lot of uh, fat uh, in this thing. So I, I think yeah. uh, if people take it slow, they'll get it. And, yeah. uh, and, and, and then they'll go, wait a minute. Holy cow. Are they saying what I think they're saying? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is not a fluffy book. It, um, it, it's tight. But you can cause a lot of trouble in four chapters. There's, oh, yeah. a, long, there's a long history of uh, four-chapter books causing problems. Yeah. So decolonizing evangelicalism, this conversation we're having. And I wish that we could have, like, uh, when you open the book, a song could play with it. Because I, I figured out what song I would want played with it. The Bruce Coburn song? No. No, not that no. one. No. I don't uh, it is like you open the book and maybe um, when you first start to read that, you can do that. And you, you play a little Tom Petty on the side that says, I won't back down. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh my goodness. Uh, before we talk about this Lenten journey, uh, two other things I just wanted to mention. We wanted to thank our Patreon supporters and especially those who have had to drop out uh, from supporting us because their economic situation has changed. So we wanted to ask people uh, to support us. And there's some stuff that we're hoping to do in the upcoming months, uh, like, for instance, host a live podcast recording at a conference uh, in Habit that we're going to in Seattle, uh, hopefully. So we are hoping that people will have a vision to support us at patreon.com, and we'll link to that in the show notes. Um, but we are really looking forward to next week's Richard Twist book discussion. It's going to be our second month of talking about rescuing the gospel from the cowboys. And we are excited. That last conversation we had, and actually I'll put out the, some of the audio highlights from that later this week. 
so that people can remember what we talked about in preparation for next Tuesday's conversation. But we're very excited to be uh, doing this. And the people who came out last Tuesday or last month to talk with us about the book were so engaged. Yeah, they were. I was really glad that they, they asked good questions. We only made it through one chapter. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of disappointed about that, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hope we might be able to make up uh, some loss for some lost time and get back up to speed. But if not, we'll just take longer with it. It's fine. I mean, if people are engaging at that level, it just takes a longer. True. No. Um, what else you got going on, Randy? Well, uh, we had this little um, project that uh, some of my friends uh, came up with and uh, it was for this Linton season. Now, you know, I know you're a Methodist and mm-hmm. you all practice things like that. But, um, you know, uh, I've never been a, a, when I was a Christian, I was never a very good Christian. And so I never practiced Lent uh, and I didn't really know what that whole Linton thing was about and all the ashes and all everything else. I was raised in a Baptist church and we didn't do any of that kind of stuff, you know. So um, so uh, I finally uh, figured out. This year, thanks to the help of a couple of my former students, um, Erna Kim and Joshua Grace, uh, what Lent was all about. And uh, uh, Erna uh, had this idea, hey, let's, let's do a Lenten devotional of some of the things you've actually said about uh, Jesus and creation. And, and let's take a different kind of Lenten journey. And so um, I went and scouted out a bunch of my stuff and pulled it together and Joshua and Erna edited through it all. And, uh, with the help of, uh, a person who's working on our web stuff right now, put it into a, uh, uh, some sort of a downloadable thing, which, um, uh, you can get at alahey.org. It's not too late and it's free. Um, and you know, people seem to be enjoying it. There's, I think there's been over a thousand downloads at this point. So, wow just made that available for, for people because in my mind, I was thinking, you know, what's the most important thing I can be doing right now. And this is sort of the whole direction that we've been going uh, with our organization. And that is um, to get people in touch with creation. So they will value the land and value the community of creation and respect it and begin to do something to protect it. Yeah. Randy, I got to tell you, this thing turned out so well. I am, I am actually really grateful for them uh, and Erna having the vision for this. I, uh, you know, every year people are looking for new uh, Lenten readings, and um, you know, I, I, I honestly, I'm just, I've, I'm a new convert to sort of that the church calendar, the liturgical calendar, and so I have not. Uh, you know, gotten to the point yet where I have good resources to put in people's hands or to point them towards. And so I was sort of excited that this thing was coming up. So I'm actually going through this with my congregation currently. And uh, I got to tell you, this thing turned out really well. I'm hoping to read a couple sections of it and get your sort of let you riff on it in real time. But I want people to get a sense for what kind of engagement they would have if, if they read this because it's it's definitely not churchy that's for sure 
Yeah, I don't uh, tend to be very churchy. <laughs> and so it's great because um, even though it does tie in with the, the Lenten timeline, it really is trying to take you outside the walls of uh, our social sort of restrictions in, in order to appreciate creation in a brand new way and to see it with different eyes. It's really challenging stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't want to ruin this for anybody, but you know, my wife and I were talking about this whole Lenten thing as we were getting educated and we were like, you know, this focus on uh, personal sin, our own personal sins, uh, mea culpa, mea culpa, you know, kind of a thing. And, you know, and we're just like, like, how is that not just not like totally consumed with ourselves? instead of the whole point is to turn ourselves outward. Now, mm-hmm. I realize that there's a, a movement towards that, but um, I, I, we tried to take a little broader approach and say, like, what we're all guilty of um, sort of uh, not living in right relationship. And what can we do to find the right relationship and and to recognize Jesus as creator for those who are Christians? You know, that, that really is the problem. They recognize um, the cross and they recognize the resurrection and everything else is pretty well superficial. Mm. So the, the point of this is if you are going to say you follow Jesus, if you follow Christ, then you need to follow the Christ who is connected to the ground and the Christ who created the ground. Whoa, man, that's, that's amazing. And in a very, very different focus it casts a totally different light on this season for people and uh yeah i want i actually want to give people a little bit of a taste of so uh we're in uh, this first week of march so uh for those who are following along at home if you have your pdf i'm on page nine of 57 the week starting march 1st through 7th So at the top of the page, it says an invitation to an indigenous worldview. So every week um, is given a different theme. And they have done, Joshua and Erna have done a a great job at giving this thing a nice framework. So each week has its own theme. And then each day has its own readings. And it's, you know, it probably takes only four or five minutes to read. But it'll have you thinking the entire rest of the day. Yeah. And, and I agree, you know, they, I can't give them enough credit. They're just two fantastic people who have come alongside what we're trying to do and, and uh, just, you know, both amazing in their own individual ways, but also, um, you know, and what they're trying to do to, to help further uh, the message of our organization. And uh, they both are people, uh, seasoned veterans, though they're, you know, not old. Um, in this whole uh, uh, kind of battleground that we call Christianity and uh, following Jesus. And, you know, they're, um, and they both are so different. They have different gifts, but uh, man, I'm so glad to have them as partners. Yeah. So the theme of last week, uh, which which went from Ash Wednesday up to uh, this first Sunday of Lent was called interconnectedness. And so all of the readings inside that had its own uh, sort of tied together that way. And then, like, for instance, next week, starting on March 8th, the title is The American Dream, an Indigenous Nightmare. Uh, You talk about a new economy. 
and a way of harmony instead of a way of consumption. So this is really challenging stuff. And you're, you're sort of um, calling people to a higher way of living that honors creation and, uh, and creator. Um, but this week's theme is an invitation to an indigenous worldview. Erna writes, and I want to read that. Who is the unseen and often unconsidered lens through which we process and interpret the world? This week's reading will help us consider and become more aware of how the Western worldview may be forming us. A legacy of settler colonialism is the false conflation of the Western worldview with a Christian worldview. As someone formed by a Western worldview, it was hard for me to become aware of it until I learned more about an indigenous worldview. It was simply the water I swam in. Worldview is often something that we experience as intuitively right. Let the journey of this week be letting Jesus dislodge some of those intuitive assumptions. Isn't that great? Yeah. Uh, this is what uh, happens when you get a Master of Arts in Intercultural Studies. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's well written. But, it, you know, I like what she's saying is that um, you often can't see your worldview, right? They, they jokingly say, like, does a fish know it's wet? Although I have a very different answer to that. I think fish may be the only ones who know they're wet, but that's a totally different conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, the, if you, if you uh, haven't examined or been exposed to a different worldview, sometimes you just think, well, everyone thinks like me and everyone knows what I know. They just, they either don't believe it or, you know, they don't want to do it. But when you encounter a different perspective, it can really be eye-opening in a, in a sometimes a good way. It can be disorienting, but it can be really eye-opening to be like, whoa, not everyone is working off the same assumptions I am. And that can just be uh, transformative. Yeah. That's why diversity, you know, the, the first book I wrote is called living in color, embracing God's passion for ethnic diversity. And that that's the whole argument of the book is that we have to have diversity that creator um, made creation and the DNA of diversity is throughout all of creation from the, the, the microverse to the, you know, the, the multiverse mm. and, and everything is, uh, you know, um, depends on diversity. Even if you are a Trinitarian, it, that unity of Trinity depends on the diversity. And so um, you, you cannot go through a lot. You, you're the, the worst for and the weaker for uh, your life if you go through without being challenged by ideas that are not just a little different than yours, but very different than yours. You know, this impacts a whole bunch of other things. I listened to a, a really interesting address this week about uh, the current situation in our politics and the various views of the economy that uh, people running for president have. It was a really interesting look at those who want to make radical change to the economy and those who just want to make little tweaks. And uh, it sort of helped me to realize that, you know, it's not just spirituality or religion that um, gets assumed. There's all sorts of stuff that gets assumed, whether it's issues of race or sexuality, but in this sense, the economy, that if you just assume, well, 
this is the way it is. And we just need to make these little changes. You know, that really leads you down one path. But if you say, look, there's something fundamentally flawed with the way we've organized this thing, right? It takes you down a different path. I don't want to, I'm not trying to prompt you to talk about politics necessarily. Just why don't I talk about assumptions? Yeah. You, you know what they say about people who assume? <laughs> I do know that. Well, <laughs> may, I think I do. You make an ASS out yeah. of you and me. Assume. <laughs> Spell it. Hey, by the way, when we first set up this podcast, we put an explicit label on the iTunes mm-hmm. um, because I assumed we would swear more than we do. And um, we don't swear that much. And now I can't figure out how to get it back off. So we're still listed as explicit, which means that Christian college students can't listen to us because there's a filter on their internet systems at their uh, universities. Yeah. Well, I think millennials are smart enough to get around that if they want. Ah, All right. Good, good, good. So at the bottom of this opening page that starts the week, they give us three reflection questions for the themes. I want to read those. How does today's reading challenge some of your assumptions of how humans relate to creation? So that's definitely a unique question to be asking during Lent and a good time to be asking it as the earth comes alive. That's, you know, from the winter rest. How are you becoming more aware of your own worldview? Which is a great, if you're talking about this, if you're doing this as a group, that's a, Great thing to compare notes on. And then lastly, how are you being invited to a new way of viewing the world and your place in it? And so that's some good personal application and, um, and really fits this season of reflection. Hmm. All right. How about I read you to you? And then, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what? It's funny. It's, yeah. uh, um, <clears throat> You know, when I write, okay, I don't know if it's the same for you or not, but when I write, I'm sort of in another world, you know? Yeah. And then I'll go back and read what I wrote, and I went, where did that come from? Oh, really? Yeah, it's like, but so I'm always surprised later on, and I think it's because I've kind of lived this fluid life, and, uh, uh, you know, I'm not at the same place anymore, and so it means something different. So I'm, I actually... Um, you know, when I, when I hear my stuff like this read back later, I'm like, huh, okay. I'm not quite sure maybe what I was thinking then, but here's what I think about it now. <laughs> huh? Well, this would be, this would be a good exercise then. <laughs> I don't know if that happens to other people or not, but, uh, or maybe I'm just an old man and, you know, I forget what I've read. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. All right, so uh, the first day's reading is broken down into three short paragraphs. So I'll stop after each paragraph because I I think this will actually, Randy, provide us an opportunity, uh, a platform to springboard off of. Mm -hmm. All right, so I'm going to read three different little sections here. If we remove the influence of Platonic dualism from our worldviews, we will find it difficult to view human beings as being over all other parts of creation. Instead of a relationship where nature is below us, we should be stewarding with or co-sustaining all creation. Yeah. You know, the, the thing that a, plat- a, a worldview of platonic dualism does 
the first thing it does is it sets one thing above the other. That is a really unhealthy worldview because then everything has to be not just binary. Some people get caught up in just the binary aspect of it and they think dualism is just the same as being binary. No, it's that one is over the other. And so then you have to have hierarchy and then you have to have categories of hierarchy. And then, you know, this is, uh, and so, you know, human beings have to be over nature over creation rather than just being a part of it, you know? And are we so insecure in our place in this world? And are we so removed from creation that we have to see ourselves ruling this, you know, this thing of which we cannot control? We are not, and, and, and of course, the root of dualism is control. It's like somebody's got to control something else, right? Or I have to control theology. I have to control God by my theology. I have to control, uh, you know, um, uh, women. So I have to make a hierarchy of men over women, or I have to control, uh, you know, um, black folks and brown folks. And because, you know, uh, white folks have to have a place over them. And all of that, all of that springs out of this platonic dualism that we have, that is embedded in the church, embedded in the Western worldview. The church has embraced it wholeheartedly. This is like, you know, when when the scriptures say, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. It's not talking about, you know, uh, whether you wear gold earrings or not, or whether you braid your hair or whether you wear makeup. It's talking about buying the philosophies of this world, such as Platonic dualism. And it is impossible then to see the world in the way that I think our creator sees the world. Mm. And certainly the way in which Jesus saw the world. He didn't see it through a dualistic lens, although he had the opportunity. Um, there was lots of Greek thinking going on around him. Yeah. But, but he chose to see it through a more holistic, Hebraic, more indigenous uh, worldview. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I have so many thoughts running through my head about this. But, you know, the thing I have to help people understand the most uh, when they're encountering this idea for the first time is, um, you know, I say to him, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily a problem if there are only two options, right? That's not necessarily a problem. But here's two things you got to watch out for. When the entire whatever you're talking about is broken down into only two categories, you have to make sure, first of all, that that's accurate. Because a lot of times we force the data or the information or the conversation we force it into two categories when actually it doesn't belong there at all. It's inaccurate and unhelpful to, to force, right? So that's the first thing is just, okay, two categories isn't necessarily the problem. But first of all, make sure that there are actually only two categories because almost always there's a third category. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, people always talk about Republican, Democrat, or blue state, red state. The simple fact is the majority of people who are eligible to vote didn't do so. So that's a third category, Mm -hmm. right? So people say, well, half the country voted this way. No, it didn't. A quarter of the country voted that way. So that's just like, make sure that there's only two categories. But here's the second thing to be careful of. When those two categories are seen as non-overlapping and adversarial, Mm -hmm you may have a problem on your hands. 
Yeah. So the creation of the two mm, may not be accurate, but it's not necessarily the problem. The problem comes when you make them non-overlapping and adversarial. Okay. Yeah. And so I'm always, you know, so I use examples for people about whether it's male or female or gay and straight or whatever it is that uh, make sure that there's, you know, you've accounted for all of the different categories that are there. And we do, right. You, you talk about this with, oftentimes we talk about race it's it's like a code or a stand-in and people what they really mean is black racism anti-black racism and so race gets into black and white and so but it's not just those two options so that's not an that's not a helpful conversation to be framed as black or white because there's so much more going on in our racial complexity yeah yeah and there's all kinds of like you said, the, the uh, complex themes within that, um, yeah. you know, there's, there's, uh, you know, ethnicity, there's color, uh, yeah. there's um, status like class, there's, you know, there's the male, female thing. Yeah. There's, there's so many things involved uh, of this, um, you know, interconnectedness that, yeah. Um, um, yeah, that, that if we're going to really talk about it, we have to sort of explore the complexities also. Yeah. So I think you're right to challenge this platonic worldview because, I mean, the, the, the categories that we have inherited and actually been taught to think in, they're not just unhelpful. They're actually not accurate. They don't right. account for the whole story. And, and we think the categories are reality. That's, see, that's the problem. Yeah. World, worldview is your categories are your reality. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that was just the first paragraph. And we can circle back to that uh, if we want to, because, I mean, just in that little exchange, we covered sexuality, politics, economy, uh, the natural world. Like it affects almost everything. Religion. Well, in worldview is a big thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. So here's uh, back to the reading. This is the middle paragraph. Each area of creation is working with the creator to maintain Earth's balance. The rain and snow, oceans and sun all sustain life on Earth. Animals regulate each other within their various natural cycles. Plants provide oxygen, food, and shelter for all of creation to coexist together. As human beings, we are co-sustainers with the rest of creation to ensure the abundant life for all creation, the creator intended. And God said that was good. The, the beauty of those first few chapters in Genesis is that they are a story. Yeah. And, and in a sense, they're really almost like poetry. They're written, you know, like, uh, you know, this, this great balance that is built up in this story. Right. And, and the story is, you know, the, there's the day and the night and the sun and the moon and the stars and the, the waters and then the, you know, the birds and the, you know, the animals, et cetera, et cetera. And it's this beautiful story of, of, of a way that someone is trying to describe the beauty of creation and the balance and the harmony of it all. Right. And, um, and, and, and then the word used is tov meod in Hebrew. It's very good, like really, really, really good. And, and, um, the problem is, is it never got not good, but the, 
the theologies that Christians have developed is that the, that the earth is fallen and we're all fallen. And, and so, you know, and, and so there's, we're sort of this inevitable thing happening that we have to sort of like just endure rather than saying, no, we are meant to live in a garden. We're meant to live, you know, not isolated, not in a bubble, but in a garden of a world that is in balance and that's in harmony. And so, you know, all we're doing is saying, you know, let's be the people. And I think that's our job as human beings to, to bring this thing back into harmony. Yeah. It's, and it's such a, a wonderful time of year to remind people of this and to encourage them to consider because, um, you know, like my wife and I have been talking about what seeds we're going to plant in the coming weeks. And we've been planning to say, like, because we bought a new place uh, last year. And so this will be our first year of starting the spring here. And so how do we want to partner with the soil? Uh, we applied. I haven't told you this, Randy. We applied uh, my congregation here uh, many, many years ago, depaved most of their parking lot which is actually a group. There's a group that does that in Portland. Wow. And there's so many benefits to it. First of all, we get uh, some relief from the city because we're not, uh, we don't have as much water runoff uh, with the, as we did with the parking lot asphalt. So we get some of our water tax back. So that's a good benefit. The second thing is they pay us a little bit of rent because we put in a community garden that the city runs. But the coolest thing we do is that um, we, we have a group called Produce for People. And so the, all of the produce, most of the produce that's grown in our community garden, there's like 50 plots over there, um, gets donated to another group that we partner with called Neighborhood House that helps family get families get back on their feet when they're having tough times. And so mm. uh, we depaved our parking lot, put in a community garden, partnered with produce for people, which sends the food to another group that we take up uh, an offering every week at our church for, uh, to support neighborhood house. So it's like its own little ecosystem within the economy. Yeah, that sounds really good. Um, I hope a couple things. Yeah. <laughs> one, one, um, so, uh, you know, in, in my classes, I teach this balance between uh, relief and development, right? Okay. So, so relief is something that, that people need when they need it. Uh, but after a while, they need development, right? Develop the, so the development line up to go up and the relief line up to go down. And there's this fine balance in, in uh, community development or mission or however you want to look at it that, that, uh, that has to be held. And um, one, I hope that the people who are um, growing this stuff are every now and then, you know, taking a tomato home with them and tasting how fresh that thing is and how mm. food is supposed to be or that corn is or something mm. like that. Um, two, um, I hope that there's a, a plan to get the people that are being given this food to become involved in, uh, in, in growing it as well. And three, I hope that there's a celebration that goes on uh, uh, around that on the grounds together because that's that is um, uh, necessary in order to uh, bring everybody in in this uh, harmonious juncture that you're doing. I think. Mm -hmm. 
That's great. I, uh, this, I only became aware of this last year, so I have a lot to learn. In fact, uh, one of my Christmas presents from my, my uh, wife was to apply for a plot in the community garden. And we just found out two days ago, we got it. Yay. Well, I'm going to be able to partner with the soil uh, that, you know, that I, where I work and sort of see how my community works in a brand new way. I'm so excited. Fantastic. And, and also please make sure they're using non-genetically modified seeds. Uh, okay. so I'm, uh, i will i'm just getting in so like i have to i have to go to my first meeting we have a community meeting together and uh, we sign up we, we each have to do six hours of work for the 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 garden as a whole and we got all sorts i'm this is going to be a steep learning curve but i'm so excited to partner with the soil and to partner with my neighbors in a new way this year cool so let me know what seeds you need and i'll help you out oh thanks All right, last paragraph I want to read you. When considering our relationship to the earth, Christians should view Jesus as earth's creator and sustainer. And then you list some some Bible passages, John chapter 1, Colossians 1, and Hebrews 1. And simply cooperate with him in these tasks. Our job as humans and the task of Christians is to maintain the natural balance God set forth as seen through Christ. Yeah. So is that how it ends? Yes. That, <laughs> okay. That's the end of that day's reading. But I got to be honest with you. Why is that such a novel idea? Yeah. You know, that's, that's what I've asked myself for a long time when, when uh, you know, because I've been hanging around with Christians for a long, long time. Um, you know, why is it they have such a low view of Christ? When, and, and, and scripture, um, you know, when it's right there, you know, like, like these New Testament writers um, didn't know where to place this Christ, this God man, this Christ man, this whatever he was, you know, what do we do with him? Right. And so what they said was he is creator. He is the creator. He has what we call in theology, the efficacy of creation. And, and so, um, and, and, and as such, like, he's the main gardener, dude. Like he, he's the, 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 the one that says in Colossians that not only creates it, but holds it together. Now, if you don't want to believe that that's okay, you know, you don't have to believe that, but even if you don't believe it, go along with it. Okay. <laughs> because the world would be a lot healthier place if you if you feel like you're in partnership with the creator in doing this. Wow. I mean I've spent a lot of time with you recently, uh not physically, but because we've been editing this book together. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like I know your thought process pretty well right now. And I gotta tell you, this is a pretty unique way of looking at this, but it's a completely different way of living. It's not just what you think. It's actually, it's what you do. Exactly. Yeah. This is not about um, how we think. This is about what we do with what we think. Oh my goodness. Well, I hope that people will download uh, this uh, PDF at alahay.com, right? No, alahay.org. At alahay.org. So, yeah, E-L-O-H-E-H. 
Org. And um, even if you don't use it for Lenten and devotional and you just want to sort of use it to to sort of like encourage yourself or, you know, and it's a little inspiration, you know, feel yep. free to do that. You don't have to use it for Lent. It'll give you six weeks of uh, uh, daily meditations, something to consider in the morning or in the evening as you're laying down. And it will really challenge you to um, consider not just the narratives that you have been handed, but also how you practice your relationship of being a part of creation. Yeah. That's the thing that gets me all the time, Randy. Yeah. And that's the, that's the intention, you know, with just about everything we do is to get yeah. people actually cooperating with creator and the community of creation. Yeah. You know, I was driving behind somebody the other day, and they had a bumper sticker, and it was in the shape of a dog bone. And it said, who rescued who? And it bugged me. I didn't like that very much. There was something about it that sort of perturbed me. And it caused me for a couple of days to think, why, does that, why did that irk me the way it did? And I realized that uh, it's this, this dualism where if you view humans – as above the rest of creation, then you think I'm the actor. It's Mm -hmm. like I rescued the dog. Right. But if you've ever had a little dog in your life, not a working dog, right? Just, but like a companion, what they bring to your life is immeasurable. Yeah. And uh, I'm very aware of that right now because we, we don't have our dog anymore, but my sister has moved to town and she has two dogs and when I go over there, you know, it like changes my, my whole body rhythms. And, you know, like I get down on the ground and I pet them and they lick my neck and there's like a connection there. And then they watch me and they desperately want to help me, whether I'm barbecuing or I'm digging up something in the garden. They desperately want to partner with that. And it's just a quality of life thing. And I realized when I read your uh, thought on, from Sunday morning, I read this to my congregation I realized like, oh, that's why that dumb bumper sticker has been bugging me all week is because it pricked the old bruise of my thinking that uh, I'm superior to the rest of creation. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, good lesson there for everybody. Me too. Yeah. Podcast stuff. I want people to know this will come out today. It's Wednesday. Later this week, I'm going to put out on Friday or Saturday some highlights from our uh, Richard Twist book discussion last month so that they they can remember what we talked about in preparation for next Tuesday's book club. If people want to join us for that, we have been working on the technology, and we think we finally got it figured out how everybody can – so if you want to participate in the actual conversation, you have to get Zoom. You have to get the Zoom link. But if you just want to watch in and listen in on the conversation, you can do that on Facebook Live. And we figured out how to do those at the same time this month. That means you figured it out. Thank you, Bo. Appreciate (laughs) it. (laughs) Also, we were able to link our website, piecing it all together. We were able to link that to both Facebook and Twitter. So now you can share podcast episodes Right from our website, you don't have to be on the platform to share it. And so the links work now. I'm very excited about that. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, that's great. Thanks for all that work. Appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, I'm, I just love our conversations. I love when people let us know that they're listening in and either have a follow-up comment or a follow-up question that spurs us into more conversation. I am enjoying this so much. And especially with our book coming out, I think that if people read that and then they listen to the podcast and join the community, I, this could be an amazing year of uh, intercultural conversation. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> now I can imagine that we're going to have some very different tone conversation after people read our book. Oh boy. Uh, because there are going to be a whole mess of people who take issue with a number of things that we have to say, but I'm mostly, glad, the, th- mostly the things you say. <laughs> no, I don't know. You're, you're kind of like, you know, you're in for a penny in for a pound now. Dude. Yeah, I know. I know. So uh, if, if, um, if people will, well, I think maybe after the next one that comes out, um, we'll do uh, a podcast on our book, correct? Yeah. So we can talk about that and let people yeah. know what's going on and, and start having conversations about that. But yeah, this is not, um, this is, this is not a, a sort of a minor um, a project that we did, even though it's a very small and readable book. This is a sort of a major, you know, planting uh, our, uh, beliefs in the ground and saying you know okay we're not going to back down on this let's talk about it if you want but um there's some sort of uh some uh heavy punches that are thrown in that book so yeah yeah, yeah i i'm very aware i was telling my sister and my sister-in-law yesterday that if people have wondered sort of like, well, I wonder what he would think about this, or I wonder what he'd say about that. They're not going to wonder anymore. We say it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good note to end on. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you, listener, for tuning in. Look down in the show notes for all sorts of links. We'll link to our book. You can order it from Whippenstock, the publisher there. We'll link to the Zoom chat coming up for the book discussion for Rescuing the Gospel from the Cowboys. We're going to link to Patreon, and we'll link to our website now that it's set up with the Facebook and Twitter links. We are grateful uh, for you listening in, and we'd love uh, when you let us know that you listened in and what stood out to you. Oh, we'll also link to the Lenten Journey devotional and so that they can go and get that as well. So that's a lot of links in the show notes today. Yeah. All right. Peace out, people.